We'll take your Bibles this morning and open to 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you grabbed a bulletin this morning, I won't ask you to say the sermon title five times fast. The Shepherd's Song Soothes Saul's Spirit. That's a tough one. 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we'll start in a moment with verse 14. We'll finish the chapter today. A reporter once asked Walt Disney how it felt to be a celebrity. And he said, it feels fine when being a celebrity helps me get a choice reservation for a football game. But as far as I can remember, being a celebrity has never helped me make a good picture or command the obedience of my daughter or impress my wife. It doesn't even seem to help keep fleas off our dogs. And if being a celebrity won't give me an advantage over a couple of fleas, then I guess there can't be much in being a celebrity after all. I like that. After Saul disobeyed God and he was rejected as king, he should have quickly realized that there's not much to being a king without the Lord. He is still viewed as king, still wearing a crown now that he has been rejected. But he will find out today, and we'll see this morning, that he's unfit, unable, and unequipped to cope with the problems that's going on in his life. And to kind of keep Walt Disney's thing going, he can't even keep fleas off his dog. It's a little more serious than that with Saul. But if being king means being king without the Lord, Saul should have said no thanks. But he doesn't do that. We'll see this morning how David's success begins as well. The first part of the chapter that we saw last week told us the story of Samuel going to Bethlehem and anointing Jesse's youngest son, David, as the next king of Israel. But again, he's still a shepherd boy from Bethlehem. How is David ever going to rise and be noticed from Bethlehem of all places? Why would anyone ever look to this young boy for leadership when there's already a king in place? How is that going to happen and play out? And so today, what we'll see at the end of chapter 16, the writer of 1 Samuel kind of weaves together the anxieties of Saul and the, the ascent of David. And so look at, look at verse... We'll, we'll, let's actually back up and read at verse 13 also, um, because verse 13 and 14 kind of go together and really um, play on each other. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. One major difference between David and Saul, as we, we've already seen several differences so far, even though we're just being introduced to David, one major difference is the Holy Spirit's involvement in their lives. Verse 13, we looked at last week, told us that when Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. And in a different way than Saul, he says, from that day forward. But in verse 14, we're told that the Spirit has departed from Saul. If you remember a couple chapters ago when Saul was anointed, the Holy Spirit came upon him too. He even prophesied, even though he was not a prophet. He prophesied, and God gave Saul everything he needed in order to be a successful king, including the Holy Spirit. His, his involvement in his life, leading him, helping him, empowering him. But as a consequence of Saul's continued disobedience, verse 14 tells us, the Spirit of the Lord departed 
from Saul. And there's some things we need to understand about that, especially in our own lives. We need to understand that God's Spirit leaving Saul has nothing to do with salvation and is not something that you need to be nervous about in your life. Say, Brother Matt, I disobey and I fail. Just like Saul did, is God going to take his spirit from me? No. Not at all. We need to understand that the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is, is different than it was with David and Saul as kings of Israel. In Ephesians chapter 1, I'll read that in just a minute. When you repent of your sins and you trust in Jesus Christ to save you, God's Spirit not only seals your heart, but He indwells your heart and becomes the guarantee that God will finish what He started. That happens at the moment of salvation and it's eternal. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14, In Him, that's Jesus, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, listen to this part of it, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit in your heart, He is the one who marks you as God's child as God's possession. The word sealed there in Ephesians was the word that was used to describe an official seal that a king would put on a document to say, this is from me. This is mine. And those, those seals carried authority and power and weight. And Paul tells the Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is how God seals you. The Holy Spirit in your heart is that mark that proves that you are one of His. It proves you're one of God's children. The Holy Spirit proves you're God's possession. And and Paul also says He's the guarantee. It's like the word down payment. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on your eternity. How do I know that I'll be resurrected one day? How do I know that I'll be given a glorified body and and that my salvation will ultimately be made complete? How do I know that? How can I be sure of that? The answer is because of God's Holy Spirit. He seals you. He marks you. He indwells you. indwells your heart as belonging to God forever. He is the guarantee that we will realize every promise that God has made to us in Jesus Christ. Disobedience from a saved person will not cause the Spirit to pack his bags and move on. Okay? That's not what's happening with Saul and with David here. Our salvation is so good that even we can't mess it up. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. But it's not possible to lose the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. Paul would later write to the Ephesians in chapter 4 of the same letter. He said, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's not leaving. But if a child of God lives disobedient, lives sinful, and doesn't do the things that he or she should be doing in his life, God's Spirit within them is grieved. There will be conviction there. There will be unrest there. But God's Spirit won't leave. It's not what's happening with Saul. So it's something that we just need to be aware of and understand that. What happened to Saul and and David here involving God's Spirit was not about salvation. David wasn't saved when he was anointed. I believe he's already saved. 
he's already believed in God. He's already a man after God's own heart. Samuel had already described him as that. We're not talking about salvation with these men, but about the specific office of king of Israel and how the Spirit of God would work with that man in a special way because of that very distinct and special office that he held. I think that David will at some point be aware of what happened with Saul and become aware that God's Spirit left Saul, that he quit guiding Saul, he quit empowering him. And later on in David's own life, he's going to be worried that the same thing might happen to him. After David finally repented of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, he wrote one of the most beautiful psalms that he ever wrote. One of the most famous psalms and maybe the best repentant prayer we have in the Bible. It's Psalm 51. But one thing he says there is in Psalm 51.11, this is David, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't think for one second that David was worried about losing his relationship with the Lord, that he was worried about being lost and not being saved and not being a child of God anymore. That wasn't on David's mind. But he had seen firsthand God's Spirit withdrawn from Saul as king of Israel and he did not want that to happen to him. David knew, even after his, his horrible episode of sin later in his life, that if he's going to be king, he needed God. And so the spirit departing from Saul, in verse 14 here, it meant that God would no longer look favorably upon Saul's kingship. He would no longer lead Saul. He would no longer authorize him. He would no longer empower him. We were already told that Samuel would no more go to Saul at the end of the last chapter. So God's own prophet wouldn't be sent to him anymore. And really none of that should surprise us because we've already read that God's rejected him as king. Several chapters ago he said, you're not going to have a dynasty. And now the last chapter, you're not even king anymore. I've rejected you as being king. Your authority is stripped away. But that didn't mean that God was no longer working in Israel. It didn't mean that he had abandoned the idea of an earthly king ruling under his authority. Enter David. He, he's, he's chosen his man now, and his spirit is upon David. With Saul, though, instead of God's Holy Spirit being upon him and leading him and helping him as king, God sent a different spirit to trouble and torment Saul as judgment and punishment for his disobedience and his, his lack of repentance. Look at the end of verse 14 says, And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Troubled is a, is a pretty intense word here. Maybe the English words terrorize or terrify might better capture this idea. It's, it's not something minor that was going on with Saul when this evil spirit would come upon him. It, the idea of the word is that when this would happen, Saul would be just suddenly seized and overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. And it wasn't just a panic attack. It wasn't just an asthma attack. It wasn't just nerves. And it may have manifested itself in some of those things like we think of, but it was much more than just that. This was a spiritual thing. We're told that. It was an evil spirit. Uh, one, one author says this, and, and I like the way he words it. Saul's tortured state was not an accident of nature, nor was it essentially a medical condition. It was a supernatural assault by a being sent at the Lord's command 
and it was brought on by Saul's disobedience. Some people are bothered by this. They shy away from this, that God would send an evil spirit to trouble someone. God would send an evil spirit to, uh, to torment someone. But there's nothing to shy away from here. and There's nothing to be bothered by. There's actually very good and comforting and hope-producing truth here if we understand this the right way. I look at this, and I see this is extremely important and calming to know that God is more powerful than evil powers. Say, so what do you mean by that? This demon, this evil spirit who was powerful enough to terrorize perhaps the strongest man in Israel was only able to do so because God allowed it to happen. God sent this evil spirit to Saul with a task and the task was obeyed. The evil spirit obeyed God better than Saul did. And that's reassuring. And it ought to give us comfort to know that no evil power in this world is stronger than our God. None. In fact, our God is so strong that if He so chooses, He can use evil powers for His own purpose. You think about the life of Jesus. Jesus proved time and time again He was more powerful than any evil power Every time he told a demon to be gone from that man, every time. Even demons that no one else had the power to cast out at the word of Jesus. He's more powerful than them. They're gone. But you think about even the evil that, that surrounded Jesus at the time. You think about Judas Iscariot. One of his own who would betray him. And John in his gospel tells us that Satan entered Judas. And he betrayed the very own Son of God. You talk about evil powers at work there. Powerful evil. And yet God used that betrayal and that arrest and that crucifixion to fulfill salvation's plan. God is stronger than any evil power in this universe. He's so strong that if He chooses, He can use evil for His purposes. Not that He condones it. Not that it's right. That's just how sovereign and powerful God is. Judas made a terrible mistake. Mistake's not even the right word for it. But God used that evil for His own glory and for His own purpose. And here God is using an evil spirit to punish Saul for his disobedience. It's been said before, you may have heard this phrase, that the same rays of the sun that melts ice also hardens clay. The same God who gave His Holy Spirit to Saul and blessed Saul with everything he would ever need to succeed as king, that same God has the power to judge Saul by sending a different spirit to torment him if he so chooses. The same sun that hardens clay will melt the ice. I don't understand everything about this spirit. I probably don't want to. I know that the spirit tormenting Saul was not the Holy Spirit of God. He left Saul. This was an evil spirit 
that God used for a purpose, working under the direction of God, sent by God, and obedient to God. So don't, don't be bothered or scared or anything by this. Be thankful that God is stronger than any evil power there is. The Spirit was very effective, though, by the way. The Spirit that came to torment Saul was so effective that it wasn't just something internal to Saul. Other people could see when this happened. Look at verse 15 through 17. Saul's servants can tell there's something supernatural going on here. Verse 15 through 17, And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubles thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on the harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee that he shall play with his hand and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. I do think it's very curious, especially knowing Saul's lack of spiritual awareness so many times we've seen. It's Saul's servants, not Saul, that actually identify the problem and put forth the remedy. He doesn't ask for music. They say, let's, let's try to find this. They, he doesn't say, I've got a spirit of God troubling me or a spirit from God. They do. They say, there's a spirit from God troubling you. And their idea, their remedy is, let's find someone who is a master musician. Let's find someone who can't just play, but can play skillfully. Let's find the best harp player in Israel. The idea of the word harp here, some of you have a translation that translates it as liar. Not, a, not someone who doesn't tell the truth, but L-Y-R-E, liar. That's probably a good idea of what this instrument was. David didn't have a harp that would you know, take up this whole stage. It wasn't one of those huge stand-up harps uh, that you might see played at a wedding or a concert or something like that. But this instrument was smaller and portable. You could hold it in your hand. It probably had about 10 strings from what we, we know about it. And it would be something that could be held and, and played uh, with your hand. And it, it says that specifically, play with his hand. Often, singing would accompany the music that was played on these harps. We'll talk more about that later. But Saul's servants felt that music would be the best way to calm him down. Music would be the, the way to at least try to relieve his fear, help with this anxiety when the Spirit attacked him. Music's very powerful, isn't it? You ever looked at pictures without music? And all of a sudden you look at the same pictures with music and you, we call it a slideshow and everybody's tearing up and, you know, same pictures without music, they're just pictures. You put some music into it and there's some, I don't know, there's emotion there. It, it, music's very powerful. There is music that exists that I wouldn't want any of us listening to. Music with unholy lyrics, music with sinful themes. But music can be used for good. Music's important in our worship services here. I hope we use it for good. We play instruments. Some Sundays we play a lot of different instruments. I hope that we play them skillfully, as skillful as we can, and give our talents to God. Music can be used to bring God honor and glory. It can be used to teach the truth and encourage one another when the lyrics are true. And if the lyrics aren't true, why aren't we singing it? 
Music's very powerful. And sometimes music has a way of, of kind of soothing us and calming us down maybe. There's an old country song that says, Ain't it funny how a melody can bring back a memory, take you to another place in time, and even change your state of mind? You ever heard that song? Since music is powerful, since it moves people, since it stirs people, then we need to be aware of and careful about the music that we listen to. If you don't think that the music you listen to affects who you are, that it affects your mindset and your attitude, you're sorely mistaken. It does. And this is what Saul's servants hoped for. That since music is powerful, maybe it would change his state of mind. Maybe it would calm him and relieve some of these fears and this anxiety. Maybe, this, maybe music could soothe his soul. But it can't just be noise. It can't just be music. It's got to be somebody who plays brilliantly. And so Saul likes the idea. Sounded fine to him. He gave order to seek that musician out. But before the search even started, wouldn't you know it, that one of Saul's servants knew just the right man for the job. Look at verse 18 through 22. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I love that behold is right there, almost like it's a surprise. It's not a surprise to us. We know David's going to be the one to come. But as we're reading this story for the first time, Behold, I've seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite that is, a cun that is cunning in playing and a mighty valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David, thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. And he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. Wouldn't you know it that young David, who was recently anointed as the next king, just happened to be the right musician for the job. I hope that you see God's hand already at work in David's life now. His spirit is upon David. This was not coincidence. God is using both David's skill and Saul's situation as a, as a catalyst to, to start David's career, if we can say it that way, to give rise to David. Why would anyone ever look to that shepherd boy from Bethlehem for leadership? How would he ever begin to rise and be noticed? Playing music in the royal court is the first public exposure that David will have in Israel. God is in this. God is using this. And as David is there, people not only took notice of his musical skill, but the way he handled himself. His wisdom, his humility, his courage. He was such a likable young man that Saul wanted him as a permanent member of his court. And he sent back to his father and said, I'm just going to keep him. He's going to be my armor bearer. What's Jesse going to say to the king? No. God is already at work in David's life to move him from the fields to the palace to replace that shepherd's staff with a king's scepter. Already at work in his life. 
And David possessed many great qualities and attributes, but the end of verse 18 tells us the most important thing you could ever say about David. The Lord is with him. Just like the Lord was with Joseph in Egypt in Potiphar's house, prospering his work and blessing him and leading him, the Lord is with David. That shouldn't surprise us. We've already read that, David's, uh, that God's Spirit was upon David from the day of his anointing forward. So without knowing it, Saul has invited the newly anointed king to the royal court and given him a permanent position. Isn't the way God works amazing? When Saul was tormented, David played, and the servant's idea worked. Saul gained some relief while David played. Look at verse 23. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, David took a harp, played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the evil spirit departed from him. The word refreshed is, is, is so close to the Hebrew word for spirit that you've kind of got to play on words here in verse 23. There's an evil spirit that's tormenting Saul. The man who is clothed with God's spirit is playing the harp. And when this happens, Saul is refreshed. Very close in, in the Hebrew. The idea of the word... It's very picturesque. It's, it's Saul was opened up again. Saul could relax and, and kind of take a deep breath again when David played. If he was so seized that it was tough for him to breathe during this time, that sure makes sense that when, when David plays his harp and sings his songs, that, that it just he can kind of let out, let the air out again and just he's refreshed. I love that translation. This was not a one-time problem for Saul, though. This was a recurring thing. The way it's worded lets us know that. We're going to be told in at least two other times during Saul's story and David's story of this happening. How fortunate Saul was, though, to have David there. David was a transcendent musician and songwriter. We, we can't even grasp how gifted David was. David would later be called the sweet psalmist of Israel. About half of the psalms in your Bible were penned by David. That's about 75. There's one Dead Sea Scroll that has been found that credits David with composing about 3,600 songs. We're not quite there yet. <laughs> Got a lot of work to do, Jordan. <laughs> 3,600 songs? David could flat out play the harp. And I'm sure that often as he played, since singing was often to accompany that instrument. I'm sure David sang. And I just bet that some of the songs he sang were some of those original pieces that he wrote. What if it were some of those beautiful psalms about trusting God that David played when Saul was tormented? 
Music's powerful, but lyrics go beyond that. Without true lyrics, you don't have a good song. Doesn't matter how good the melody is if the lyrics are false. The lyrics that David would sing would be exactly what Saul needed to hear. Just imagine being in the royal court, seeing your king suddenly just seized with terror and fear, suddenly tormented by something outside of his control, and then all of a sudden a teenage boy picks up a harp and maybe he starts to sing a song that he just wrote when he was out in the field a year ago. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And the Spirit departs. I think it's very significant that David is the only Israelite who could help Saul with his spiritual problem. The one who's been anointed with God's Holy Spirit, who is a man after God's own heart. This just continues to show the contrast between David and Saul. And yet, the relief that Saul enjoyed was always temporary because he would never yield to the lyrics that David sang. He would never submit himself to God in humble repentance for his sins. Why? Why during the peaceful and quiet times when David put the harp down would Saul not humbly beg for mercy? Yes, he was already rejected as king. He would no longer be an effective national leader. But that didn't mean his life was over. Have you ever thought what would have happened had Saul repented and asked for God's forgiveness? Could he not have lived a normal life serving God and just not been king? Why would God not have allowed that? One author says this, that if, if he would have asked forgiveness and, and repented... He says, retirement to private life would then have been no great burden, but rather a willing, loving homage to the holiness of God. Saul should have realized that if being king means being king without God, then I don't want to be king. Who knows how different this story would have played out had Saul done that. He refused. He refused to repent. And so his relief was always temporary. Listen, you will never enjoy lasting peace and lasting rest apart from trusting completely in God. You can seek diversions. Some can be good, like a, like a man named David playing the harp for you. Some diversions in this world that this world has, has to offer are very bad and evil. You can seek diversions. You can turn to things that can soothe you for a time. But until you humble yourself before God, any relief that you find from the things that trouble you will only be temporary. True peace, true relief comes only in trusting Jesus Christ. Only in having a relationship with Him. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ... Don't think that surrounding yourself with diversions, even if they're good, 
can make up for a personal relationship with Him. He suffered so that you can have peace. He died so that you can have life. Trust in Him to save your soul and give you eternal rest and peace. And if you've done that, and I know many here have, but there's some torment in your life, there's some trouble in your life, maybe it's because of your own sin. You know that you're not serving the way you ought to. You're not living the way you ought to live. Humbly repent so that your fellowship with God can be restored. He hasn't withdrawn His Holy Spirit from you. Maybe that's what's... Maybe that conviction... Conviction's a good thing, okay? I've said it before. Conviction's a very good thing. Ask God to forgive you and give you peace. He will. Walt Disney realized there's not much to being a celebrity if you can't keep fleas off your dog. Saul should have realized there's not much to being a king if you can't have peace. And you and I need to realize that there's not much to life without God and His goodness. Don't seek after things that only offer temporary relief. But seek after the eternal peace and rest that Jesus Christ brings.